0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. As we're kind of coming to the end and winding down uh, the series that we're doing on the Gospel of John. Uh, and we said a couple of weeks ago that we're at the point where uh, everything that Jesus is doing now, everything that he's focusing on, everything that he's sharing with his disciples is all about love, his undying love for them. Uh, but let me ask the question, I'm going to sidetrack because we're about to go into the death, burial, resurrection portion, uh, but has anyone ever been stopped by a, like a mall cop? Anyone? You guys know what mall cops are, right? The guys, in the mall um you saw the movie. Yeah. I don't ever been stopped or detained by a mall cop, which is totally different from being stopped by a real cop because a real cop has the authority and you freak out. Most people are stopped by a mall cop. You kind of question their authority because in our minds, they're not real cops. But a few years ago, let me share this quickly. I was um, not a few years ago okay. when I was a teenager, which was way past a few years ago. But when I was when I was a teenager, um, I was in this store in the mall and uh, I saw a kid there that I I can I I, I've been racking my brain about this for the last like couple of days can't remember why I was mad at him can't remember why I wished harm to him but I wanted to go like push him into like something where he would make a mess of like a display or uh, and he would get in trouble like into the mannequins or into the perfume and he would knock stuff over and so I spent like 20 minutes following this kid around the store Trying to find the perfect opportunity where I could like just trip him or shove him into something where he would get in trouble. Here's a problem, and this isn't because I'm like actually that good of a person. Maybe it's because I'm just that wasn't thinking enough. But I kept rationalizing why I couldn't do it. So uh, like I think when he walked past um, like the perfumes and all that stuff, I was like I could just push him, and then he was. Where he was, he would have fallen into, you know, how they sit the ladies on the stool and they're putting the makeup on. her. He would have fallen right into her, right? And she would have, you know, fallen over. Makeup would have went everywhere. But in my head, I'm thinking, well, oh, I don't want to get that lady all messed up or harm her. Uh, I just want him to get in trouble. And then he walked past a display of, like, where they have the mannequins with the clothes on and all that stuff. So I was going to, like, just go running by and just literally just bump him to where he would send all of that flying And all that stuff within my head, I thought, well, that stuff goes flying, then, you know, what if something breaks? I I don't want him to make him pay for it. I just want him to get in trouble. And so I spent 20 minutes rationalizing why I couldn't, like, embarrass this kid or get him in trouble. And I finally said, you know what, this is ridiculous because I got other things to do with my day, and I left. But as I was leaving, I got stopped by mall security. Because I guess he's following him around the store, told mall security. So as I was leaving the store, they came literally, as I stepped outside, they were like, hey, we need to talk to you. Pull me back in. Said, hey, this kid says you've been following him around. Started asking me questions and all this stuff. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh, great. These guys are going to call my mom. Uh, it was a Saturday. I was like, she's working. She's going to flip out if she has to come down here and Pull me out of ball security, and then I thought for nothing. And I thought, wait, I didn't actually do anything. And I thought she's going to be madder at them than me because I didn't do anything wrong. And I, I and they they kept asking me questions and all stuff. I was like, are you guys holding me for stealing or shoplifting? Or and they were like, no. And I was like, so what are you holding me for? And they paused. I was like, okay. And I got up and and left. And they tried to stop me from going. And I'm like, what what are you going to stop me for? Are you before, and they were like, well, we, and they couldn't hold me, so I left, and in my head, I was like, thank you, Jesus, because at first, they can, you know, moment you see sirens, or any type of authority figure coming up behind you, you start freaking out, what am I doing wrong, what, you know, what happened, What's, what did I get in trouble for, what stoplight did I run, which sometimes is the case, but um, you, you start freaking out. Uh, but here's the thing. The way that our justice system is laid out, right? We have a, a justice system. We hope and we pray that the way that it's laid out, that only the just will be released and the guilty will be punished. So if, if you're, you know, stopped or detained, we hope that, hey, if I'm innocent, it'll all work out and I'll be found, You know, found out to be innocent and I'll be let go. But if I'm guilty... If I'm the guilty one, I want to get let free, too. I don't want to get in trouble. But we hope that if someone is guilty of something, that they will be punished. And we hope that the punishment fits the crime, right? So the way that our justice system works is we have a couple of phases. The first is the arrest phase. Right? Someone is arrested, uh, they're detained, uh, they're detained or taken into custody by an authorized entity, usually for committing a crime. You know, Obviously, the police, if they're investigating you, they have, I think, depending on where you go, 72 hours, they can hold you and question you and do all of that stuff. But this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen, but as we're reading into the you know, death, burial, and resurrection, that was all preceded, preceded by this somewhat... Uh, for lack of a better term, justice system. Uh, So in John chapter 18, verses 2 to 3, this is what we read. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, and they were at the Garden of Gethsemane, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas went out with the intent... That these uh, the band of soldiers from the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin is what is called the religious uh, body that was in, in charge of the people at that time. They went out there to arrest Jesus. Now, here's the thing: uh, they went out with a band of soldiers. A band is a military term, and it's 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 a smaller portion of a legion, which is usually five to six thousand soldiers. Now, most theologians don't believe a band would be about a tenth of that. They they don't think that the religious Sanhedrin had five to six hundred soldiers because that would have been a threat to Rome but they do believe they went out with way more than the eight to ten that we typically see in the movies and on the TV there's eight or ten people it's more likely that there were some 40 to 80 soldiers these weren't like the mall security guards who who walks in or like I'm trying to say, you know, like the 18-year-old kids that just got a job out of high school. These are hardened, trained soldiers who were working as a security force for um, the Sanhedrin. And there were probably about 40 to 80 of them. Now, here's the question. Why do you think that the Sanhedrin needed a large military force with weapons to go out and arrest Jesus? I mean, this is a guy who hung out with his, his crew, if you will, was a band of teachers, uh, a tax collector, uh, some fishermen. No disrespect to fishermen, you know, but some fishermen and small businessmen. This, this, the, the most radical person in the group was Judas, who was on the side of the Sanhedrin. He's the one who led their soldiers out there. And here's the thing. The reason that they went out is because, John had recorded this before, a lot of the Sanhedrin did believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They believed that he was actually the Christ. And uh, you may not remember, but weeks ago when we went through John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to him and said, hey, there's a lot of us that believe the only way that you're doing what you're doing is because you come from God. We just don't understand how. And Jesus went through and explained all that to them. And when they did show up to arrest Jesus, it's probably a good thing that they had a large contingent of men because John records in chapter 18, verse 4, uh, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to him, to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, if you look in the other Gospels, what the other Gospels record is that when they came up, Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with him, and Judas betrayed him with a kiss, right? We all heard that Judas betrayed him with a kiss. The reason John doesn't focus on the kiss is because John is focusing on the fact that, hey, Jesus could have ended that entire interaction with the power that he displayed. He couldn't have just ended the interaction. He could have ended the life of all the soldiers, but he was arrested, tried, sentenced, and crucified of his own free will. He allowed himself to be taken, but John wanted to make sure that we knew, and we were clear that, hey, if he wanted to resist, he could have. If he wanted to say, hey, you have no authority to arrest me, he could have. He wanted to end not just the interaction, uh, but the lives of the soldiers could have because he was the one who had authority over their lives. And John keeps adding all of these spiritual things uh, because as we started the series, we said in John chapter 20, John said, but these are written, and he's referring to everything he wrote. His words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John is making sure that we stay on point, understanding there's a lot of spiritual stuff But that's because John wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the next phase after someone's arrested is they go to trial. In my head, as I was going through this, I hear that boom, boom. Anyone watch uh, Law and Order? Like all, what are there, 17 versions now? Whatever, how many versions? I keep hearing that because that's what they talk about, you know. But in any case, uh, the next phase is the trial, right? And at the trial, uh, that's where. Jesus received a trial and I'm going to go through this quickly and summarize the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was high priest that year and uh, Let me explain Annas in the same way. um, Have you guys? Seen any of the former presidents on TV. They still refer to President Carter as President Carter even though he's act not acting president they still refer to uh, President Bush as President Bush even though he's not acting president they will continue to refer to President Obama because it's the title and even though you've done your time you still have that title so Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas but Annas was the previous high priest because they only served for a certain period of time but he just happened to be the father-in-law so they took him to Annas first, who was the father-in-law, Caiaphas, and Caiaphas was the high priest that year. Then, Annas questioned him. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, uh, and then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, because Annas said, all right, I don't know what to do with you. I can't find you guilty of anything. So he sent him to Caiaphas, who was actually the high priest that year, and then they sent him to Pilate. Now, the other gospels record they also sent him to Herod, who was kind of like king, acting king over... Uh, Jerusalem. They sent him to Herod. Herod questioned him and said, okay, I don't know what to do with you. And he sent them back. So they sent them to Pilate. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then he said this. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. I can't find him guilty either. And even though he couldn't find him guilty, they went on to the next phase of the legal proceeding, which is the sentencing phase. And we know how that turned out. They sentenced Jesus to die, and, uh, and he was crucified. And in John chapter 19, we read this, So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar which technically was blasphemy, uh, but we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and they crucified him and he died on the cross. Now here, here, here's the, let me just summarize this. The justice process that was used for Jesus uh, was he was arrested, then he had a trial, and then they sentenced him and that led to him being crucified. Now here's the problem with this whole phase none of it was legal when they arrested Jesus this is the arrest phase normally if you're arrested they have to have something to arrest you for you have to be guilty of something now our our judicial system doesn't quite match the Hebrew judicial system but in a lot of places it does and in the Hebrew judicial system the same is true you cannot be detained unless you're guilty of something you can't go out and detain someone and then find something to accuse them of. They have to be guilty of something. And you have to have a minimum of two or three witnesses beforehand before you can go and detain them. So they had no basis to arrest Jesus. And then at the trial, the trial. there's a book called the illegal. Oh, well, there's several books, but you can find it's Talk about the illegal trial of Jesus. Not again, not by our standard, but by Jewish standards. First and foremost, all of this took place in the middle of the night. They went and arrested him after they had had dinner. After sundown, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was illegal in Hebrew tradition. This isn't what uh, God laid forth in the Bible in the Old Testament. But this is the rules the Sanhedrin adopted for themselves. So this is even God saying, hey, you're breaking this rule. This is them breaking their own rule. It was illegal. They could not hold a trial between sundown and sunup, between the evening sacrifice and the morning sacrifice. If they did, it would be ruled an illegal, trial, and it would be thrown out, be dropped, nothing could be done. So if someone did murder someone, and they caught them and tried them at night after the evening sacrifice, that could literally, that person could get away with murder because the trial had to be thrown out. It had to be ruled illegal. And what they did to Jesus is was they caught him and they tried him in the middle of the night between the after the evening sacrifice and before the morning sacrifice. So the trial phase illegal by their standards. Now, for the sentencing phase, the rule was if you sentence someone to death, if you found them guilty and you sentence them to death, then you had to wait another 24 hours before the execution it's kind of like you know today we adopt that into if someone is sentenced to death and they're on death row they get a last meal a last this a last that they get that last time Um, and i couldn't find the exact reason that they came up with but what they said was hey if someone is sentenced to death that sentencing takes place then they cannot be executed until 24 hours had passed, so they can't be executed on the same day as their trial. Jesus was executed the same morning that he was sentenced. In John chapter 18, verse 39 to 40, uh, this is Pilate saying, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber, and I think this is interesting because Jesus, we all know that, that, you know, he died in our place. But the only reason that the physical execution, the crucifixion, the execution of Jesus took place is because he took the place of someone who had already been declared as guilty. Physically, he died in the place of someone who was guilty. Spiritually, he died in the place of all humanity Who was guilty of sin but his physical sentencing because as we read Pilate said I found no guilt in him should never have taken place because he wasn't guilty now here's the question the reason again that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested because he allowed it to happen arrested and he knew that all of this was illegal but he allowed it to happen was because he had already determined I am going to die for humanity. I'm going to let this happen because we read Jesus knowing what would happen, came up and said, uh, who are you looking for? He knew that he arrested. He knew that the arrest, the trial, the sentencing, all of it would be illegal. but he al- he also knew it would be painfully brutal, but he allowed it to happen only because of his love for us. And here's what Paul writes uh, to the church in Rome and this is the message version christ arrives right on time to make this happen he didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready he presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready and even if we hadn't been so weak we wouldn't have known what to do anyway but god put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. The only reason that Jesus allowed it to happen is an act of love. Now, God is the one who ordained it to happen so that our sins could be removed. And he chose Jesus, his son, as the one to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus could have said, find somebody else. But he allowed it to happen because of his love for us. Now, here's what uh, Peter writes. He says, "That's what Christ did definitively. He suffered because of other sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death and then made alive to bring us to God. And here's that "so what?" question that we've been asking. Why does this matter? Why is this important to us? Because for every person who doesn't know the love of God, who isn't in a relationship with God, they need to know and understand because there's a large perception that God wants us because he wants us to follow all these rules and lists that he have. And they miss the picture that God loves us like crazy and was willing to do whatever it took to remove anything and everything that separated us from his love more important is the removal of sin that separates us from God than instituting a list of laws and rules that we would try to obey to get to God. And most people don't know that. They know the rule side because they hear in church, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Don't do this, don't do that. If you come to church, you can't dress like this. You can't do this, you can't do that. That's what they think the church is about. But they don't get to hear The crazy love story about god who loved us so much that he said hey you know what this sin yes it is wrong but rather than try to get you to obey it i'm gonna die to remove it that's the story that they don't get to hear and for those of us who are christians we get to be god's wingman we get to go and tell other people you know what i have this god who loves you like you would never believe I had this God and we get to tell this amazing part of the story especially now because we're in the of Lent where you know you're sitting at a fish fry next to someone all you got to do is turn to them. do you know how much God loves you and if you don't want to start with that say you know Jesus was a fisherman right and let them start that because he actually wasn't a fisherman he did catch a lot of fish he was a fisher of men I laughed in my head anyway you get to share that amazing part of the story. And here's the thing, if you're not that good at sharing the story, sharing God's love story, you know, share your story. Here's what God did in my life. But end it with, here's what God did so that we might all have life. Share his story. And again, if you're not that good at sharing stories, then bring them here. will At the Seder dinner, we're going to talk about God's amazing love and how all this ties together. Uh, Bring them to the upper room presentation and let those guys share the story of the struggles that uh, they were going through and their humanity, but also talk about God's amazing love. Or just bring them on a resurrection Sunday where that's what we do. We talk about God's amazing love. But we get to share that part of the story that most people never hear. All they hear from the church is, thou shalt not. And what they need to hear is how much God loved them. And how much he was willing to give his life for them. And the fact that he did die for them. And not once, not once did he stop and say, you guys aren't worth this. Because maybe some of us have been in past relationships where we said, you know what? This relationship isn't worth it. But God looks at us in our stuff, and our issues, and our, our trials, and, and when we're on good days and when we're on bad days, and every single moment of that, he says, you're worth dying for. And he died for us. So I'm going to ask us, uh, as the band comes up, just bow your heads for a minute, and uh, we're going to pray before we close out with a song. God, we thank you that when you look at us, Yes, you see our our issues, and you see our struggles, and you don't define us by that. You don't limit us to that. But you see people who you love with an amazing, never-ending love. And when we think about what you went through, we we, we look on TV, and we we news about people who are arrested or uh, released after you know, being in prison for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years uh, and, and being wrongly accused and then finally being released and justified and you were wrongly accused, wrongly arrested, wrongly sentenced and wrongly put to death. But you allowed it to happen so that we might be made right. So that you could rescue us that state of sinless separation from God. For that we give you praise. Amen.